you may find a seat. How many of you have all of your Christmas shopping done and you are ready? There are, wow, there's two of you in this room. You are overachievers and uh, you are proud of it. How many of you haven't even started your Christmas shopping yet? All right, there's a few of you, all right, not too bad. How many of you have started and you are feeling pretty good about where you are? All right, about the rest of the group. <laughs> that was just, I was just curious. It has nothing to do with the sermon. I was just wondering where everybody was. Um, and, and so certainly, um, for those of you, let me, let me just speak to maybe you husbands in the room for just a moment. Do not wait till December 24th, all right? <laughs> do not wait till the last day. Um, I've done it before. It doesn't go over well, all right? So make sure that you're planning ahead, thinking ahead as you prepare for this Christmas. Uh, I want to begin uh, reading this quote. Jan Richardson, she wrote the following excerpt in her book called Searching the Shadows of Advent and Christmas. And listen to what she wrote. She said this, the season of Advent means there is something on the horizon, the likes of which we have never seen before. What is possible is not to see it, to miss it, to turn just as it brushes past you, and you begin to grasp what it was that you missed, like Moses in the cleft of the rock watching God's back fade in the distance. So stay, sit, linger, tarry, ponder, wait, behold, wonder. There will be time enough for running, she says, for rushing, for worrying, for pushing. For now, stay, wait, something is on the horizon. Now, the holiday season is often marked by wish lists on Amazon, and that might be why some of you are already done. Long lines at the store, crowded streets or lines in the store or in town and multiple Christmas gatherings. It's a season that we all look forward to. Quickly, this season becomes, though, a season that sometimes is marked by chaos and after the season, season is over, it disappears in just a moment. January rolls around and the hustle and bustle of Christmas is in the rear view mirror. And just as Jan Richardson noted in her book, it's easy to miss what's on the horizon. But I want this Advent season to be different for my family. And I certainly want this Advent season to be different for your family as well. Advent is an opportunity to slow down, to consider all that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Certainly it will be full of gifts and uh, gatherings and shopping and parties and celebrations, but this should be a time where we intentionally and purposely find ways to slow down and to reflect on really the true meaning of this season. And that is the greatest gift that we have ever received, and that is the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son. It's a season to reflect on the beauty of that gift. It's a time, as Jan Richardson noted, to anticipate what is on the horizon. I want you to know this. When we talk about Advent, Advent is not just about Jesus' first coming in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. But Advent is also about his second coming, which all of us in this room are still waiting for. And it is the return of Christ 
that is still on the horizon. That's why part of Advent has kind of creates this sense of anticipation and excitement and expectation that surrounds the season. Because we are anticipating, we are looking forward to the day when Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he returns for the church. So for the next four weeks of Advent, we are going to kind of unwrap four unique, miraculous birth narratives in Scripture and see what each story reveals to us about God's perfect and holy character, and the gift of Emmanuel, which just simply means God is with us. So let's do what Jan Richardson so beautifully penned in her words, and she said this again, let's stay, sit, linger, tarry, ponder, wait, behold, wonder, there will be time enough for running for rushing, for worrying, for pushing. For now, she says, stay, wait, because something is on the horizon. Now, these Advent messages over the next four weeks, at least a couple of them, may be somewhat unique and different than maybe what you're used to hearing as you prepare for the Christmas season. But I'm praying that over the next four weeks, God would stir in your hearts a deeper longing, desire, and passion for the presence of Jesus Christ this season. Again, I know it's very easy to get so overwhelmed. The Christmas season, it comes and it goes. When when December 26th rolls around or January 1st rolls around, we look in our rearview mirror and, and we ask the question, where did time go? So I wanna encourage you this season Families, individuals, husbands and wives, church, let's be intentional about slowing down to consider, to ponder, to reflect on the beauty and the meaning of this Christmas season. So I want to begin by looking at the first miraculous birth narrative that we're going to kind of unwrap or examine and explore. And it is the story of Samson all the way back in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And you're probably wondering why in the world are we talking about Samson when it's approaching the Christmas season? Well, you will see here in just a few moments. But what do we know? I mean, what do we know about Samson? Let me just kind of remind us, if you aren't familiar with who Samson is, let me remind you of who he is. You find a lot about him in Judges chapter 13, all the way through Judges chapter 16. You read about his life. Samson was one of the judges in the Old Testament, who brought relief and salvation to the Israelite people from their enemy. He was a man of great strength, and he was capable of killing thousands of Philistines many times with his own bare hands. The Philistines were the enemies of the Israelite people, and because of the sin and because of the godlessness of Israel, God handed the people over to their enemies, in this case, the Philistines, and it got to a place where they were desperate to be rescued. And so God brought forth a rescuer. God brought forth a savior in the person of Samson. He was a strong man. The spirit of God was up on him. And one particular time, he killed uh, several uh, Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. So this is, uh, this is some of the things that we know about Samson. 
It was a man of great strength and capable of bringing relief to the Israelite people. We also know that he was tricked by a woman by the name of Delilah into revealing the secret of his strength. It was his hair that was never cut because he took what is called a Nazarite vow. And that Nazarite vow essentially separated or set Samson apart for the purpose or for the use of whatever God wanted to use him for, for a very specific purpose. And so he was instructed to, there were very specific instructions for one who took a Nazarite vow, things they were not supposed to do. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair. And as, as long as he was obedient to those commands, the Spirit of God would come up on him and he was able to bring relief to the people. But once his hair was cut and the Nazarite vow was broken, he no longer had the Spirit of God come upon him to strengthen him when facing the Philistines. So he was captured. We know from the story in Judges chapters 13 through 16, again, his eyes would be gouged out. Um, he would be taken to the Philistine camp and he was put in chains. And, and he asked God one more time for the Spirit of God to come up on him so that he could destroy the Philistines. And so one more time, the Spirit of God came upon Samson. He was able to pull down the, the pillars that he was attached to, and he was able to destroy not only the Philistines, but even his self. His outward strength was contingent upon his inward commitment to God, but that commitment was broken, leaving him short of his potential. We know this about Samson, but I want us to re rewind a little bit, and I want us to look at Samson's origins. I want us to look at the beginning of his story. What was so unique about Samson's birth? If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Judges chapter 13. You should already be there. Uh, Judges chapter 13, and I want to read the story, and it's also up on the screen. I want to read the story of Samson's birth accounts, and I want you to see the uniqueness of this story, and we're going to unpack some very important truths from it. I'm going to read beginning in verse number one. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah, and his wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, just, just a quick sidebar here. Imagine a grown man who has never cut his hair. I mean, that, that is, uh, I can't imagine the length of his hair. Um, I don't know what kind of products he had available at his disposal to take care of his hair. But, but just for a second, imagine what Samson would have looked like. Um, and then allow your imagination to run its course from there. Verse number six, the woman ran and told her husband, a man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from and, I didn't, and didn't, he didn't tell me his name, but he told me you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink nor eat any forbidden food for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. 
Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let the man of God come back to us again. Give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. God answered Manoah's prayer, and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. So she quickly ran and told her husband, the man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your word comes true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? For when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask me, or why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied, it is too wonderful for you to understand. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die for we have seen God. But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. And when her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mahane Dan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Esh to all. Now, this birth account has some striking uh, similarities to the birth account of Jesus. I mean, you have an angelic announcement that comes to Manoah and his wife regarding the birth of this son. You have this miraculous conception that takes place. There is a barren woman. She is unable to have children, and yet this miraculous conception unfolds. And then there is the set-apart nature of this child. He was to be set apart for a very specific God-ordained purpose. We see very similar things unfold in the birth narrative of Jesus Christ. There is an angelic announcement. Remember, the angel comes to Mary. The angel goes to Joseph. The angel goes to the shepherds to declare that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is to be born. We know that there is a miraculous conception that takes place because Mary is a virgin. She has not known a man, and therefore she becomes pregnant with the Christ child. And we also know that this child was to be set apart for a very specific purpose. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, he would save people from their sins. Later on, John, when he sees Jesus as a, as a grown man, Jesus coming, John will declare, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So there's some similarities in the birth account of this child by the name of Samson and the account that we have of Jesus' birth account. Now, this miraculous birth narrative reveals some powerful truths about God's character that should offer each one of us hope during this Advent season. And I want to just kind of unpack three or four very simple but very powerful truths that I think will offer us hope during this Advent season. Number one, God's timing is always the perfect timing. Some of you in this room have encountered that before. The timing of God in your life was impeccable. It was perfect. It was better than what you could have planned. But all through scripture and really all throughout humanity uh, and, and life here on earth, this, this truth 
is incredibly valuable and, and, and important for us to wrap our minds around that his timing is always the perfect timing. The angelic announcement, let me explain, the angelic announcement of the soon arrival of Samson came at just the right time for the people of God. Israel, once again, as was the custom during the day of the judges, and if you read the book of Judges, let me tell you, it's, it's, it's pretty godless when you read the stories of, uh, of the people of God and their sinful behavior and their activity and, and how they're worshiping idols and, and they're entering into some form of pagan worship. God will hand them over to their enemies. But as was their custom, they were in this season of spiritual turmoil and they were experiencing nationwide oppression. We read in Judges 13, verse 1. This is how the story begins. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now this turmoil and this oppression, it was a direct result of Israel's own godlessness and evil practices. They were steeped in idolatry and pagan activities and complete rejection of God and his ways. And as was the custom, and we see this all throughout the book of Judges, the people, they were doing what was right in their own eyes, which led to the godless, evil activities that we read in the book of Judges. This godless behavior resulted in God handing them over to their enemies as a means of judgment. But here's what I want you to see. It was during this dark period in Israel's life where all hope was lost that this announcement, this angelic announcement of the birth of Samson was received. It was in this period in Israel's history where they were in spiritual turmoil, when they were experiencing oppression by the Philistine people for 40 years, that an angel would come onto the scene and announce the birth of their coming Savior, and that was Samson. We read in Judges 13, verse 5, it says this, You will become pregnant. This is the angelic announcement. And you will give birth to a son. And his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. And look at this. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So at just the right moment, at just the right time, there is spiritual turmoil. There is oppression that God's people are experiencing. And an angel of the Lord comes onto the scene. And we have this announcement that a son is coming. A man is coming. His name will be called Samson. And he will begin to rescue the people from the Philistines. Israel needed rescued. And the birth announcement of Samson was their hope for salvation. But there's another birth announcement that came at just the right time. And it was the announcement of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. This announcement would also come at a point in Israel's history when they were in turmoil and they were almost ready to give up all hope. They were longing for, they were waiting for a Messiah. Many of the people, when, when Jesus comes onto the scene, many of, uh, of the people of God, they were looking for and longing for a Messiah-like king to come and to rescue them because they too were experiencing oppression. They were experiencing oppression from the Roman people. What they didn't realize is there was a deeper issue that needed to be de dealt with, and it was the issue of sin, and Jesus Christ was coming onto the scene to not just set them free from physical oppression, but to set them free from spiritual oppression, to move them, as we talked about over the last couple of weeks, from spiritual death to spiritual life. And so this announcement came when Israel was in this season of turmoil. They were waiting for, longing for a Messiah to come, and they were about ready to give up hope. There was still, though, when Jesus' announcement of his birth 
came to Mary and Joseph and to the the shepherds, there was still a small remnant of believers hanging on, hoping for, waiting that the Messiah was to come. We read about it in Luke chapter 2. One of those those individuals who was still waiting for was a guy by the name of Simeon. Simeon was uh, was a man of God who was serving in the temple. And, And when Jesus, after he is born, Mary and Joseph, they bring the baby into the temple to dedicate him on the eighth day. And when he comes into the temple, Simeon sees Mary and Joseph. And just imagine there was probably a lot of hustle and bustle that day uh, in the temple, a lot of movement, a lot of activity going on. But Simeon noticed something when Mary and Joseph came in carrying the Christ child. He says, my eyes have seen thy salvation. Now you can dismiss thy servant in peace. And so Simeon had been waiting for, longing for the Messiah to come. And as soon as he sees the Christ child coming with his parents into the temple, he sees that his hope has been fulfilled. Anna the prophetess was also another one who is serving and working in the Lord, waiting for the promised Messiah to come. She too got to see the Christ child that day, and her hope had been fulfilled. Now, when we get to the New Testament, I, I want to uh, tell you a little bit about something. There is a, what is called this intertestamental period. So in your Bibles, when you get to the end of the Old Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, about 400 years or so before really the New Testament stories begin to unfold. So in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, in terms of what takes place, is a a period of time called the intertestamental period. It's actually about 400 years where there is no new prophetic word given. It's it's called a period of 400 years of silence. And, And so once Malachi comes to a close... And and all the way up to the birth announcement of Jesus Christ, imagine 400 years where people no longer have any new prophetic word. They're they're waiting for a Messiah. You can imagine that there is this kind of quickly giving up hope mentality. The spiritual, political, and cultural landscape had completely changed over the last 400 years. During this 400-year period of time, there were new rulers, new people come into power. The Persians ruled for a season. The Greeks would rule for a season. There would be Jewish and Maccabean revolts that would take place, and eventually the Romans would come to power, and they would be the ones who would oppress the people of God. Just when it didn't seem like salvation was coming, an angelic announcement was given at just the right time that the Savior was to be born. We read this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will do what? He will save people from their sins. We're not talking about just saving people from Philistine physical oppression. We're talking about being saved from the physical or the spiritual oppression, and that is dealing with the issue of sin. And the arrival of this announcement, the promised birth of the Messiah, came at just the right time. Listen to what Paul, this is how Paul describes it in Galatians 4, verse 4. He says, But when the right time came, God sent his son. Born of a woman, subject to the law. At just the right time, the perfect timing, that is God's timing, God sent forth his son to be the savior of the world. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means this, that the timing of God that was perfect for Israel during Samson's day, and it was also perfect for the people during Jesus' day, is still perfect for us today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
The perfect timing of God that we see on display in Samson's birth. The same perfect timing of God that we see on display in the birth narrative of Jesus Christ is still the same perfect timing that God operates within in our lives today. So what do we do with that? Number one, we should not be discouraged then in our seasons of waiting. If we're waiting for a prayer to be answered, if we're waiting for a prodigal son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter to return home, or for direction in your life, or for maybe even clarity at work. We should not be discouraged in this season of waiting that we're in. Instead, we need to keep pursuing the presence and person of Jesus and know that his timing may not always reflect our timing. How many of you out there, and I'm probably one of those that think you, you when it comes to scheduling, you think you have the best timing there is. I mean, I, I, I've been there, all right? Sometimes I think my plans and my activities and my schedule is the perfect schedule and the perfect timing, but sometimes my timing and my schedule doesn't line up with his, and if it doesn't, I have to reorder some things in my life. We need to keep pursuing the presence of Jesus and know that his timing is always perfect. Secondly, number two, we need to not be so quick to give up on God. Just because our circumstances may seem unbearable or overwhelming, we need to know that Emmanuel, God with us, is our ever-present help in time of need. And certainly the circumstances were unbearable for the people of Israel. They were unbearable when they waited 400 years and there was no prophetic word, but there were still some who were not willing to give up on God. Simeon was ready, and when he saw the Christ child, he said, my eyes have seen thy salvation. You can dismiss thy servant in peace. Number three, we should not be quick to forget that God always sees and knows the bigger picture. So it's vital that we surrender to his will and trust in his timing because it will always be better than what we think is best. We see through a glass dimly. God sees the whole picture. He sees the big picture. He sees things that we don't see. He knows things that we do not know. We can certainly pray and ask that God would open the eyes of our heart, that he would give us revelation, that he would give us discernment, and we need to pray that way, but we also need to know that at the end of the day, his ways are not our ways. They're much higher than ours, and we need to submit ourselves and surrender to his ways. And number four, we need to make sure that we don't miss an opportunity to show or communicate the love of God to those who desperately need to know that a heavenly father exists who loves them so much. And this Advent season is a perfect time to show, to demonstrate, and communicate the love of God. There may be people that you come in contact with, and maybe you are God's answer to that perfect timing in their life. When you serve somebody, when you encourage somebody else, when you uh, show them and reflect the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. So let's not miss an opportunity this Advent season to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to communicate the love of God and to know that if we are obedient to his leading, then that may very well be the perfect timing even for somebody else. Second lesson is this, number two, God's intervention changes everything. So his timing is perfect his intervention changes really everything, the, the scope of our landscape. Look at this. Manoah's wife was barren and unable to have children, but the angelic announcement that she would soon be with child changed everything. 
We read in Judges 13, verses 2 and 3. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant. They had no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. I want you to see this. In that culture, in that day and age, it was the deepest desire of every woman to have children, especially a son, to carry on the family name and heritage. And the author here mentioning that the woman was unable to become pregnant and had no children whatsoever, the author is simply showing us that she was in this very hopeless state and hopeless condition. She not only had no children, but she was unable to bear children. And so she was physically unable to conceive. And so from a merely human perspective, having a child was an impossible possibility. But look at what happens. God's intervention changed the playing field for Manoah, his wife, and all of Israel. The angel noted that before his arrival, she was unable to have children, but God would say otherwise. She would soon become pregnant, and she would bear a son by the name of Samson. The birth narrative of Jesus follows a similar pattern. Mary, who was a virgin, never knew a man intimately, yet would become pregnant through the work of the Holy Spirit. We read this in Luke chapter one, verse 34. It says, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. He will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a child or a son. Um, is, there, is that it? <laughs> Um, a son, um, and is now in her sixth month, sorry, for the word of God will never fail. I thought that would be an odd place to end at A. Um, uh, For the word of God will never fail. So what does this mean for us? What is this true? So we, we talked about God's perfect timing is still perfect for us. We talked about how when God intervenes, that changes the landscape for everybody. It changes everything. But what does this mean for us? It means that our seemingly hopeless conditions and impossible situations are changed into hopeful possibilities and joyful realities when God intervenes. Let me say that again, because I want you to grasp this this morning. Our seemingly hopeless conditions and impossible situations from a human perspective are changed into hopeful possibilities and joyful realities when God intervenes. When God intervenes, when God steps into our life, when we invite the presence of God to do a work in our life, it changes the entire landscape. When God intervenes, the impossible becomes possible. And we see this not only in the story of Samson and his his birth, we see it in the story of Mary and the birth of Jesus Christ. Mary declared that nothing is impossible with God. And this isn't just some fairy tale or cute little statement. It's the truth of God's word. Nothing is impossible for him. Therefore, the miraculous intervention of God will certainly change the dynamics of our life. But what do we do with this truth? Two things. Number one, we need to pray fervently and passionately for God of the impossible to show up and change impossible circumstances into possible realities. You may be here today or you may know people that that are going through a season right now and from a human perspective, their, their circumstances look like there's no hope. Looks like there's no possible solution in front of them. And, and, and honestly, if you were to ask them or talk with them, their, their state is a state of hopelessness. But let me encourage you or maybe encourage you to encourage them that when God intervenes, when God steps onto the scene, it changes the landscape completely. 
When he intervenes, the impossible becomes possible. Number two, we need to keep this truth, though, in proper balance with the sovereignty of God. And this is, I don't have time to go into great depth about God's sovereignty. Um, Honestly, we could probably spend weeks talking about the sovereignty of God, and still our human minds cannot fully grasp the greatness and the bigness and the awesomeness and the majesty of the God we serve. But here's what I want you to understand. He always sees, again, remember, he always sees the bigger picture. His ways are much higher than our ways. And so at the end of the day, we have to continuously surrender to his sovereign lordship. Yes, when Jesus enters the equation, when he steps onto the scene, it changes everything. We see it with Samson. We see it with Mary. You maybe have experienced that in your life. When Christ comes onto the scene, the impossible became possible for you, for your life, for your family, for your relationships, for your workplace, for your home, whatever it may be. And certainly when God enters into the equation, the impossible does become possible. But at the end of the day, we also have to remember we are still living in this fallen world. And we have to remember that God is sovereign. He sees the big picture. He sees things that we cannot see. He knows things that we, don't not, that we do not know. And we have to simply surrender to the sovereign lordship of Jesus Christ and simply trust him because he is in control. Number three, so we talked about God's perfect timing, talk about how God changes everything. The third thing is this, and I'm almost done. God's instrument of salvation is special and sufficient. Notice the unique description and requirement set apart for the soon-to-be-born son of Manoah and his wife. Listen to this in Judges 13. It says, the woman ran and told her husband, a man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he told me you will become pregnant, give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food, for your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. These instructions indicated that this boy was to be set apart for God and for a very special purpose. The Nazarite vow was typically a voluntary commitment to be set aside specifically for service to God. But in this case and in a few other cases in Scripture, uh, this vow was not, was, was not taken by the individual but was actually taken by the parents. We see this with Samson. We see it with Samuel. We also see it with John the Baptist in the New Testament. Samson was to be set apart to God for the purpose of bringing his salvation to the Israelite people from the Philistine oppression. But if you read the story in Judges, Samson will actually fall short in his set-apartness and his responsibility to save the people. But Jesus, who is born of a virgin, will live, will live a perfect, sinless life and will serve as the all-sufficient sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. So this Advent season is a reminder that God came in human flesh. Perfect divinity came and dwelled among imperfect humanity. And he became the perfect and all-sufficient instrument and means of God's salvation. Salvation, the hope of eternal life in God's presence, is possible because Jesus came and because he lived a perfect life. He took our place on the cross and he was raised to life. And Advent is a reminder that because he came to us, listen, we can come to him and have hope beyond this life. Because Christ came and dwelled among us, we have the hope that one day we will get to spend eternity in the presence of God. We know this is not our final destiny and that God has more for each one of us. Now let me end with this, number four. God's activity then is deserving of our worship. 
The angelic announcement given to Manoah and his wife regarding their promised son would result in an act of worship. Let's read it again. Judges 13, Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering, offered it on as a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was an angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die for we have seen God. But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come, you can. An attitude, listen, an attitude of thanksgiving and adoration and submission to God, that is worship. And this was the immediate response to the good news that they received from this angelic announcement says in the text that they fell with their faces to the ground. They, they entered in or took a position of worship as they submitted to the lordship of their heavenly father. And as they fell with their faces to the ground, as they adored their heavenly father, this same adoration and expression of worship was also, we see in scripture, the response of Mary following the birth announcement of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Not going to read it all, but in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, we have the account of Mary's response to the announcement of the Christ child. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. So the, the response of Mary, the response of Manoah and his wife is a response of worship. God, not just because of what he has done, but simply because of who he is, is worthy of our complete devotion and worship. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, this is, I know, a very, not necessarily earth-shattering, might be something you already know. Certainly, I think it's important that we are reminded of these truths. And as we enter the Advent season, these are truths that we are reminded of, the God that we serve. He is worthy, look at this, of our worship, simply because He is God. I want to stop there with that. Because sometimes we have this idea that he's only worthy of our worship if my circumstances are bearable or my circumstances are favorable. The reality is he's worthy of our worship just simply because of who he is. And sometimes we, we, we get confused, I think, and we think, well, you know, today I just, I don't really have it in me to worship God because things aren't going well and, and, and my circumstances are just not very favorable today. But the reality is it has nothing to do with our circumstance. Worship is not contingent based on our circumstances. Worship is contingent based upon who God is. He is holy, he is perfect, and he is worthy of our worship. So he is worthy of our worship because he is God. But because he is God, his timing is always perfect. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're in a season of waiting. 
You've been praying. You've been searching. You've been looking for clarity and direction in your life or at home or in the workplace. Let me just encourage you. Keep pursuing. Keep praying. Keep actively waiting. Because God's timing is always perfect. Because he is God, his intervention, it will change our lives. Christ comes onto the scene. The impossible all of a sudden becomes possible. Not because of who we are. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. And because he is God, his sacrifice is all sufficient. We don't have to offer up bulls and goats once a year, multiple times every single day. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross is all sufficient. Moved us from spiritual death to spiritual life. William Barclay says this, the best way to then prepare for the coming of Christ to never forget the presence of Christ. The best way to prepare for His coming is to live our lives constantly aware of the presence of Christ. In this Advent season, Emmanuel, God with us. When Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing, he is charging us to live our lives with a constant awareness of the presence of God. God is with us. That's what Advent is about. That's what Christmas is about. We've received the greatest gift. That gift is with us. One way to never forget the presence of Christ is to live our life in constant worship of Jesus Christ.